Hi, I'm Harriet, a mental health professional and educator, and this is Dawn Breaks, the podcast all about finding hope and maybe also healing after reaching rock bottom. Welcome back. This week I'm going to be sharing a really amazing story from our very, very special guest. And I'm really, really grateful to her for her vulnerability in sharing this story. It's really important for me to mention that we're going to be talking about emotional abuse within a relationship and the impacts of that. So we're talking from the point of view of someone coming out of that relationship and being safe the other side but if this is something that's particularly triggering for you I wouldn't say don't listen I would say instead listen and be inspired but make sure that you're in a situation that is safe to do so and potentially with someone who will support you as well enjoy the episode welcome to this week's episode of dawn breaks and I am absolutely delighted to welcome Alison who's going to be joining me today so welcome Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Oh, it's a total pleasure. Thank you. And I know you know a little bit already about the podcast, but before we start, how are you? How do we find you today? I'm doing well. I feel wonderful. I feel great. I feel inspired. Um, Today is just an exciting day for me to be here and share my story with you and, you know, hopefully provide some hope and inspiration to other people. I love that. Thank thank you. you. Oh, yes. All the good feels today. That's amazing. Okay. So as you know, I like to go back to a time when you were feeling potentially a bit hopeless or feeling very low in yourself. I wonder if there's one that you'd be happy to sort of describe to us and tell us a little bit about. Sure. My situation personally, I suffered from narcissistic abuse for many, many, many years. Um, and that's what I had written my book about. Um, mm. The lowest point is hard to pinpoint because when you're in a relationship with someone like this, it's like a roller coaster. You have many highs, many lows, and those lows aren't just like a normal low. They're like depths of hell kind of low. Mm. Um, so the one thing that i thought of prior to this podcast interview was throughout my marriage um, i was wishing and hoping and fantasizing about my husband's death um, and that was a really really low point in my life because it consumed me i was obsessed with it i could be outside working in the yard and just it just consumed my thoughts you know, and what kind of person does that? You know, what kind of person wishes and hopes for something that dark? Mm. And, you know, that was a really, really hard point in my life because I kind of felt like there was something wrong with me. You know, why was I, you know, why was I um, obsessing about something like this? And, you know, the answer is lots of people do. Lots of people do, you know, especially if they are feeling backed into a corner, if they've been abused in in any sort of way, if they feel like there's no escape, there's no hope, there's no out. I know a lot of children even feel like this too, you know, if they've been abused by, you know, they either want to run away or they, Mm. uh, you know, fantasize about that sort of thing. And uh, nobody ever talks about that. 
nobody ever talks about that. There's such a shame associated with it. Um, and I felt like I can't be the only one who feels like this. I can't be. And, you know, I actually wrote my first chapter of my book about that really, really low and dark space that I was in for a very long time. And like I said, it's the roller coaster of emotions. But the point in my life where I just felt like I couldn't get out, I felt like I didn't have any sort of positive things to look forward to. And the easiest escape for me was just to think about him being gone forever. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where my lowest point was in my journey. I'm so grateful to you for sharing that because that's a really difficult and yeah, the extremely difficult thing to share. And exactly like you say, there's so much shame associated with it. But obviously these feelings that you were having were the result of extreme trauma. You know, you mm-hmm. had been pushed into such a corner and felt so trapped is the word that kept coming to yeah. my mind. And you'll have to sort of correct me if that's not quite sure. right. But feeling kind of trapped or unable to move or change the scenario. And that just goes to show how how much pressure you were under that that it felt like the only way was to fantasize about the scenario being different and that person not being there how however it would happen right and yes I think as well just like you said there there's this whole flip on on reality that you feel like the bad person in this scenario you feel like the person in the wrong and actually you're the person who's who's experiencing this abuse and experiencing this extreme difficult time and actually it's just your way of coping right Mm -hmm. it's a really smart coping mechanism that your brain has kind of kicked into gear but it's really uncomfortable to to go through and really uncomfortable to experience and, and and share as well i'm so so grateful to you for sharing that because i bet you there are so many people who can relate to that and potentially will never have spoken about it right and you know the one thing that i i recall specifically is that i didn't tell anyone that that was a secret that i kept inside of me i didn't tell family friends anybody that i was feeling that way so really the only time that i voiced it was when i wrote my book because i thought i have to say this out loud i have to tell people that this is what was going through my mind because I think it would help validate other people who are going through the same thing and who have experienced a similar type of trauma and abuse. Yes, absolutely. Validate is 100% the word there, I think, because it's impossible when you're in a situation like that. And just having that, I don't know, that tiny glimmer of something that helps you to cope with your daily distress and kind of waking up into this reality every day. And potentially, I mean, I don't know, things that come to my mind is that sleep is almost an escape when you're able to sleep in those scenarios. And then you you wake up every day and realize that you're, you're still there. You're still in that place and it's still really painful and difficult and you don't want to be there, but it doesn't seem like there's a way out. Right, and, and I felt like that a lot, um, mm. but also, a lot of times when you're in a situation like this, nightmares enter your sleep and then you can't get away from it in that manner either. So, you know, daydreaming for me was the biggest escape. And I say mm-hmm. daydreaming because literally that's what I did. I I would just be outside, you know, cutting the grass, taking a walk. And why do I feel like this? Why do I? And I didn't know at the time that I was being abused. I didn't even know that I had 
a narcissist in my life. That was something that came about much, much later into the marriage. Um, and I was able to take that information once I discovered it and then, you know, escape from the situation. But during the time that I was, you know, being abused, I was unaware of it. I did not know what it was. I didn't know that there was even such a thing as a narcissist or a, a, that type of abuse. I didn't even um, realize that something like that was happening to me. I felt like that everything that was happening was my fault. Everything oh, that was a part of our marriage was because of me, because I wasn't living up to his standards, not realizing that his standards were never achievable or never going to be able to be attained by me. So that was, you know, that was really difficult because you only know what you know. And at the, in that moment, I didn't know that that was happening to me. Oh so, my goodness. That yeah. is so difficult because it's debilitating, isn't it? If you feel that you're, you're the problem and now you know more, you know differently, but at the time, how do you, I'm just, almost lost for words how how do you how do you cope in those situations and clearly you know having a daydream or just sort of finding small things like that to to help you is the way but it's unbearable it feels unbearable even just you describing it I feel kind of unbearable feelings for you and it's just that feeling of um I want to get out I want to get out and that's that's sort right. of the, what keeps going around in my head and I think what you said there was really really interesting because we you're exactly right we can only respond to what we know and if we don't know we don't know that it's wrong or we don't know that we shouldn't be treated like this how can we do something about it and and it made me really curious you know how did you discover what was it you know that made you realize actually hang on a second this isn't, this isn't me. Mm -hmm. When did that veil lift? So, um, and, and you can read about this in my book, your listeners can too. Um, I was made aware by someone, someone who I had confided in about what was going on in my marriage, like mm. all of the things that were happening, the stories of me just complaining, me just saying, oh, I can't, he, why is he doing this? And this is frustrating me and I feel horrible. And this person alerted me to this. And had I never known I would still be there. I would still be Gosh. back with that person that my abuser. So when I was made aware, and that's part of why I wrote my book, because I'm trying mm. to raise awareness because there's people out there who just don't know. But once I was made aware, the biggest thing for me at that point was to educate myself. I was like a maniac on the computer. I was searching, I was Googling everything. I was reading books. I was, and I, and during this time I was still with this person. I was still with the abuser. Wow. So I, it was, I was hiding everything, yeah. um, turning off my Wi-Fi when I was searching for things, you know, re watching YouTube videos, um, looking up posts, things like that. Um, because the knowledge and the information that I had was what I had been lacking the whole time. And so I needed to know what I was dealing with. Right. And the more you know about this disorder and how these people operate and the types of things that they do to abuse their victims, the easier it is to escape from it. Right. I'm not saying it's easy because it is not easy, no. but it, it empowers you. I mean, knowing that was a huge, like I felt so much power just having the knowledge because before I was in the dark, I just had no idea. I didn't know how to navigate because I didn't even know what I was what is dealing with so the but, knowledge was important 
Right. And you said what exact phrase was going around in my head about knowledge is power. In this scenario, it is exactly that, that the more you know, the more strength it gives you. It gives you this sort of inner motivation, I suppose. And and it must have been terrifying to be doing that, you know, and be researching all of that stuff while still in the relationship. Really, really frightening, but also... I don't know, quite sort of addictive in a way because you think, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, there's another option, another way. It might not be how I've seen it so far. And that's, it, you can't unsee that once you've seen it, can you? It's no. Right. Right. Uh, you cannot, I mean, that is that, and I've said that before many times, like once, once the veil's been lifted, once the fog dissipates, you are just in, and, and I remember clearly, Harry, I remember so vividly the emotions flooding me when I realized mm. what this is, like, this is serious. And the fact that it was done on purpose, the fact that it was done deliberately and insidiously and stealthily because in the person I was dealing with there you know there's a lot of different types of ab abuse that go on out there and, and narcissists are uh there's a lot of different types of you know kinds of narcissists out there and the one I was dealing with was very very sneaky mm. and so that's why it, I mean he was really good at keeping it undercover and for me not to recognize it and it I mean it took me 17 years before I ever even knew so wow. you know that that is something that yeah it was really really scary it, you know especially when you have no idea until you know eventually but those emotions had come in like I was angry. I was really, really right. angry because I thought, how could this person who was supposed to love and cherish and honor me, we made this promise in front of our friends and family and God. And now I've learned that it was all a giant lie. It was just right. everything. It was fake. It wasn't real. And it was intended to hurt me on purpose. And that was really hard to accept. That was a really, really hard. Mm. That's another one of the low points that I experienced too. And a, a lot of uh, abuse victims will experience that same exact thing once they come to that knowledge point and understanding. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're really right about that, that yeah, knowledge is power, but it's also painful. The truth is painful is. when in, in that kind of scenario, just like you're saying. And mm -hmm. It's a real process as well, you know, that you, you kind of describe their sort of waves of, of anger and pain and distress. And, and, you know, the really powerful thing about anger is it helps us put boundaries in. It helps us say no, like that's not okay. And it, and it protects us, you know, it's our inner protector in a way. And lots of people are really frightened of their anger especially I find, you know, in, in British culture, I feel like there's a huge amount of fear about anger and it only goes in certain places like road rage and other places. But, but actually in this scenario, anger is so important because that is your motivator out. Anger will give you the energy to move and to change the situation. And it sounds like that's sort of what was beginning to happen for you in that process that you were the anger is is fuel it's fuel to mm -hmm. then do more and then find out more and then maybe even begin to change things right so talk to us about what happened next like how how did you find your way out of this scenario because you obviously you're talking now in in hindsight mm -hmm. and you've written about it and you have this incredible story so I know you're not there now how did that happen and I know that's a really big thing I'm asking there so feel free to sort of tell us 
little chunks or or go into as much detail as you feel comfortable to. Okay. So let's go back to when I discovered what this person was Mm. and the abuse and what I knew at that point. And like you said, the anger was a motivator. It was the catalyst to help me leave. And, and, you know, I say leave, I did leave, I escaped. I mean, that's Mm. truly the, that's truly what happens is you escape these types of people. And what I did was I started planning. I'm a planner by nature anyway. Like I, I mean, that's just kind of who I am. I don't like to pull any triggers until I've thought it out very thoroughly and completely. I would never suggest that somebody should take their time on escaping if they're under any sort of physical danger or Mm. to themselves, to their children, you know, you need to get out as soon as possible. In my case, I wasn't experiencing physical abuse technically by those terms, more emo, it was mostly emotional and psychological manipulation and abuse. So I planned, I spent a lot of time planning behind his back where he wasn't aware. I was taking screenshots of all of our financial information. I was reaching out to attorneys. I was reaching out to therapists. I was building kind of a a team of people. I was reaching out to people who I had formerly isolated in my life because of the abuse saying, Hey, you know, I'm about to divorce this person and I need help. Um, Mm. So I did a lot of planning and it probably took me about three months to fully be able to, to move out of the house that I was in. And a lot of people say, well, how did you find the strength? How did you get the strength to get out? Like, I don't have the courage. I don't. And really I didn't either. Like the honest truth is the planning is literally, it just took me from one step to the next step, Mm -hmm. to the next step to get me to where I needed to be gone. So it wasn't about like, oh, I'm just this really strong person. I mean, I was scared. I was deathly afraid of what not, not only would he try to, you know, manipulate me to bring me back, would he start reaching out to people in my family and reaching out to friends and trying to smear me because I had done the research. I knew these were types of things that could potentially happen. So there was a lot of fear associated with that. But, you know, when I hear people say, how did you get the courage? How did you, I didn't have it. I didn't have it. I literally just put pieces in place along the way until it created the opportunity for me to get out. Now, I do feel like I've gained strength since that. Mm-hmm. I think even just getting there made me stronger, like because it was proof that I could go from point A to point B. Right. And look, looking back, I did that. Like I did that. And I you take did. a lot of pride in that. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, you know, when people, you know, want to know, like, oh, how do you just, it doesn't magically happen. Like courage isn't something that everyone has. And I certainly didn't have it. I had been beat down for, you know, 20 years. So I was the epitome of this weak shell of myself, but I knew I had to escape mm-hmm. and I took those steps. And that's, that's how I ended up being able to leave. Wow. And it- yeah. It's survival ultimately at that point, isn't it? When you feel you're unable to continue on the path that you're on, it's this, it's survive, isn't it? You've mm-hmm. got to get out to survive. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm so grateful to you for sharing that because I feel like how do you even begin to support someone who's in the darkest depths of that kind of position? And especially for anyone who knows someone who's in that position, you know, it can be really, really sensitive and 
very difficult to know what's the right thing to say and ultimately just being there and letting people know that you are there for them um, no matter what and if they need yes. to turn up at any time they don't need to explain why they can just come and it's absolutely fine and there'll always be a space for them and also I I love what you you did there because you kind of gave us a bit of a roadmap of of what it was that you did and and ultimately all we're ever doing with anything really difficult that we have to be courageous for and here it's extreme something you've got to be extremely courageous for is taking one step one step one step and not trying to look at the whole big picture because it's impossible and it's overwhelming and it will almost defeat us before we've begun Yes. And I feel like that is, um, I, I, a lot of times I give the example of running a marathon Mm. because tomorrow, if I jump out of bed and try to go run, you know, a marathon, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to, I'm going to fall. I'm going to get blisters. I might have to turn back. I had to stop for water because I'm dehydrated. You know, that is not going to be a good idea for me to just Mm -hmm. jump out of bed and try to run a marathon. If I'm really going to be successful, I need to plan and I need to prepare and I need to, you know, start one step at a time, little bits at a time. Yes. That is such a good analogy because the preparation is what gives you the courage to know that you can, because in the moment when we're doing something that feels extremely far out of our comfort zone, like I imagine this might have felt for you, that we we need everything to already be in place because we won't have our brains won't be able to think straight at the time we won't be able to make decisions for ourselves because we're just functioning you're just getting out in that situation and because you'd already put all these things in place for yourself you didn't have to worry about anything else you just could think about keeping yourself physically mentally emotionally as safe as possible and and taking the opportunity like you say when it when it turned up and I'm I'm just so grateful that you're here and you're sharing this story because I think it's so so powerful and there can there is going to be so many people that that can hear this and really fully understand maybe for the first time what it's like to be in right. that situation and and it's it's so powerful and so important that people have awareness and you're you know what you're doing is incredible to be raising that awareness for people as well thank you thank you and I really appreciate it so tell us a little bit about the things that might have helped you because obviously in the moment and and when all of this was going on there would have been specific things that might have supported you like the daydreaming and when you knew about the narcissistic abuse and you you began to plan those were obviously specific things that helped you I wonder whether there was anything else that you know particular tools or things that helped you build hope or build some some idea for the future that things could be different and you could have a life that was different from what you're experiencing? So, um, yeah, there were some things. One specifically, the, the first thing I did once I got out was enlist myself into therapy with a wonderful therapist okay. who I still talk to every other week. And it's been three and a half years since I've escaped the abuse. So I knew I was able to recognize that there was something not put back together all all the way within me. Um, Mm. I don't like to use the word broken because Mm. I feel like when we say we're broken, that means that we can't be repaired. And I feel like there were some some pieces that just weren't aligned correctly. There were some parts that just weren't put back together the right way. And I needed a professional person to help me Mm. with that. And so what I did was I spent a lot of time not only attending therapy, but I felt like that 
the venom, the tentacles of the abuse were so deep within me and I was away from the abuser, but they still were in there. And I, mm. I felt like I needed to rip them out and get them out and find out who I really was. Um, so part of what I felt like was really, really helpful was to be self-aware, mm. to understand. And that's the one thing a narcissist can't do. They cannot be self-aware. They can't self-reflect. So what can I do that a narcissist can't do? Well, I can self-reflect and I can look inside myself and say, I have issues with boundaries. I have issues with codependency. I have problems with being defensive. I can't trust people. I knew that these were things that I don't want to carry with me for my whole life because of what happened to me. Mm. And so I felt like that the commitment to healing had to be stronger than the story of my abuse. And I did not want to be tied to that story for my whole life. I, I told my story. I have it in a book to help other people, but that's not who I am. That's not the first thing I tell people when I meet them. Oh, hey, yeah, right. you know, I am Allison and, you know, this is what happened to me and I have this horrible experience. Now, if somebody needs me to explain to them what I went through or needs a, somebody to shoulder to cry on or something like that, fine. But the commitment to being able to heal myself was really kind of at the forefront of my mind because I knew that it wasn't just going to happen overnight. It wasn't just going to be, I'm going to wake up tomorrow, not be with the abuser and I'm going to be normal and healthy emotionally mm. and psychologically. I just knew that wasn't the case. Mm. So I work on it. I mean, it's a lot of work and, and I don't think that healing is a destination. I think right. it's a constant flow and people, a lot of times will say things like, well, you know, I was abused for five years. So how long do you think it's going to take me to heal? Or, oh, I was in an abusive a marriage. Like, is it like one year per no, it's not anything like that. It's the amount of effort that you put into healing yourself. Right. right. And that's to me was the biggest, most important thing as soon as I left to try to to heal myself. Yes, absolutely. I love that. And I I, I really honor what you said there as well, because I think it is it's a process, it's a journey healing, and it it's not a destination, just like you said, and we shouldn't be aiming for a destination either because the process is where the magic happens rather than getting to a place where we are completely healed. The more you know, the more you realize you don't know, right? The more right. you know, the more you realize, oh, actually I find this difficult and more things come up. And then you then you have a really clear route on what you need to work on. It's, it's much harder in a way before you've even be mm -hmm. begun that journey. Mm -hmm. But, and, and also that the therapy can be a longer term thing. I really like that you've, you've said that because I think sometimes people see it as a, a bit of a sticking plaster and or, or a short-term fix the problem kind of thing. And actually, it doesn't have to be that. It can be much, much deeper. It can be someone who accompanies you on that journey. And, yeah. and working with a therapist is unlike any other relationship is it it's completely focused on you and your healing and that is right. unique to any relationship that you have in the rest of your life so some really powerful stuff there thank you yeah. I think it's really important as well to sort of capture the the journey because you've spoken about time there's there's a big time difference between the sort of beginning and the the seven i think 17 years you said in the marriage the three and a half years afterwards after you've left 
and that sort of whole process you know planning to leave and all of that it's a really long amount of time and and just I, I utterly agree with what you've said there that there isn't a fixed amount of time for someone's healing it's when you're ready to feel it you'll feel it when you're ready to move past something and process something you'll feel it and it will it will happen and it's it's unique to everyone and and you talked about the the sort of venom of that abuse and it and it is that subconscious beliefs isn't it it's what that is is someone's come in and gaslighted you and brainwashed you into thinking that these thoughts about yourself are true these negative thoughts about yourself are true so you have to sort of gently 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 taking so much care of yourself and your your kind of yeah gentle nature and unpick that a little bit and undo some of that damage and then put back in really good stuff i wonder if things like affirmations or rewriting that belief system is something that you've explored or something that works for you yeah i i I really have one of the things that i have worked a lot on is is self-care and Mm -hmm. well actually twofold self-care and then positive self-talk are both things that are important because what i realized um first the the self-talk whose voice is it Whose right. voice was I hearing? And yeah. and a lot of times it's not my voice. It's mm. the abuser's voice or, you know, oh, you're not a good mom or, oh, you're, you know, you're lazy or, you know, you're have a bad memory, whatever those things were. And then I was realizing that I was continuing the abuse by right. allowing those thoughts to kind of permeate me. And mm. when I, when you start being more self-aware and, and more conscious because a lot of these things just operate kind of in our subconscious once you realize like whose voice is that really like that's I wouldn't tell the five-year-old version of me that she's a bad girl or Mm -hmm. you know and I wouldn't tell her that why am I telling myself that today you know it's like those people who like oh they talk to themselves out loud oh you're so stupid like whose voice is that who's who's telling you that and so Mm -hmm. that was something that for me that's, that's hard, like to, to reprogram those thoughts, because especially if you've experienced abuse early in your life, I mean, these are things that have just been, you know, fed into your mind for Mm. years and years. And so you really do have to kind of take, take a step back and say, hold on, that's not really true. That's Mm. not actually the truth here. Let's reframe this and let's say it a different way. Like, you know what, sometimes I do forget things, but I'm not always a forgetful person. I remember lots of things. I have a good memory, you know, and I think a lot of these things are, you know, self-fulfilling prophecies at some point too, you know, what, how do you speak to yourself? So that was one. The other one is self-care. And I don't remember who told me this. I might have heard it on like a clubhouse or YouTube video. I can't remember, but I remember going into this discussion about boundaries and Mm. self-care being a big theme in helping people heal. And so, you know, when you're with a narcissist, you cater to the narcissist, you you think about what they want, you do what they want, you never have a, any autonomy or individuality or independence in any sort of way. So everything is always about them. So that self-care was something that really was non-existent for me for years. And so when this person said, you know, self-care can also be about keeping a commitment to yourself. And I thought that is so powerful because I really never thought about self-care being how I would want other people to treat me, to treat myself that way. 
Yes. And I thought that is so amazing. Like if I say I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to make a list and I'm going to go for a jog and I'm going to do and then I just lay on the couch all day. What kind of commitment did I keep to myself and, and how would I handle that if someone else made those promises to me and I just they didn't do it? I, I would feel hurt. I would feel betrayed. And so essentially I felt like this is really, really important to keep commitments to myself. And that is one of the biggest things for self-care for me. Like, yes, I think it's great to go pamper yourself and do things, yoga or, you know, get your nails done or do things like that, that you feel are important. But for me, number one was I have to keep these commitments to myself because that's where I'm building trust in myself. And that's what's going to help me heal. Oh, that is so powerful. Like even while you're talking about that, I'm thinking about you know, commitments that I make to myself. And why is it that it's okay to break commitments to ourselves, but not to other people? Like I won't be late for other people, but I might be late for myself. Like silly small things, but yeah, Mm. you're so right. Like about our expectations, about what do we expect from other people and expect from the world? And we should be doing exactly that for ourselves. And and there's also something really important there that you mentioned about the way that you speak to your younger self, you know, your five-year-old self and how the words that we use have power, they, mm-hmm. they're important. And if we, for whatever reason, feel like we didn't get exactly what we needed from our parenting or from our parenting experience, this is how you can do something about that, how you can now give yourself those things that you felt you missed out on. You right. can give that to yourself through commitments that you keep for yourself and yes you're exactly right it's so much more than boundaries which is really really interesting because boundaries is the big one but commitments is is -hmm. a step further boundaries is kind of saying no this isn't okay with me but but commitments is saying this is what I want this is what I'm aiming for this is what I do for myself and I expect that in terms of the treatment of me as well and then what you're putting out there in the world is completely different energy isn't it and and, Mm -hmm. and what's more if that energy is then protecting you from meeting someone else who might have those patterns of behavior that you've experienced before. Absolutely. Because a lot of people feel like, I don't know how to love myself. I've heard that so many times. I say, well, how, and I used to feel like that. I don't, Mm. what does that even mean to love myself? Mm -hmm. It's a weird concept. And I, I, you know, I probably learned it just within the last few years that loving yourself, sometimes the, all that means is, treating yourself how you want to be treated, you know, so if that's through self-talk, if that's through self-care, if that's through keeping commitments, if that's through, you know, like what, if you had a a friend, a mother, a sister, a brother, what would you say to them? Don't let people treat you like that. Mm. You know, don't talk to her that way. You know, like if, if, if people heard some of the inner dialogue, right, they might say, oh my goodness, why are you saying those things to yourself? You know, don't talk to, you know, so those are the kinds of things that I felt like really, really helped me mm. um, from, you know, springboarding off of the abuse because I was determined. Like, I was absolutely determined. I was like, you've already stolen so much right. of my life. Right. I'm not going to let this go. I'm not going to be this, you know, eternal victim for you know, the rest of my life, I'm going to fix this, I'm going to get healthy, I'm going to be better, and I'm going to try to help other people do the same thing. So that's, that's where I am. That's where I am now. And that's so powerful. That's so powerful, you know, coming from a place of, yes, feeling like a victim, quite rightly so, you know, Mm -hmm. given the situation that you were in, and then you've moved through that and taken your power back, taken your control back and 
put yourself in charge of the situation so that you can then make a future that you believe in, that you want, that you that you want to work for. And that is incredible. It's so inspiring as well to listen to because, you know, it proves that anyone who's in a difficult position, you can make some choices for yourself and you can get some power back and you can get some control back and begin to sort of design life to be the way you want it and you know what an incredible transformational journey of yours that you're describing and I can really relate to that you know that moving through moving away from feeling like things are happening to me and instead kind of thinking things are happening for me to learn from this in order to heal in order to make things different I don't have to live with this reality I can change things and I can make it better for myself and I can really really relate to that in in a sort of a different framework different experience Mm but very much that core learning that you're talking about is super powerful. Thank you. And I love what you said about it's happening for you, not to you. And that is something I had to learn too. It's Mm because a lot of times you say, why is this happening to me? And why do I have to go through this? And, you know, I always have these like little bursts of revelation, like (laughs) every so often I get these little epiphanies and the other day I had a recent one, but this one happened, I don't know, maybe like a, maybe last year. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I've, and I'm a spiritual person and, you know, I believe in God and I remember praying for strength okay. because when you, when you've left a, a, a abuser like this, it becomes, mm-hmm. it's like the swamp. It's like you're in right. this swamp and, yes. you know, even though you're gone, there's still attacks coming from different places. You've got attorneys involved, the children, you know, there's lots and lots and lots of moving parts. And so I felt like at a really low point then, like the swamp, the alligators, Mm. the thunderstorms, the Mm. lightning, you know, like I just felt like I was never going to get out. And of that deep low point too. And I remember praying just so desperately for strength, like, please God give me strength. And then, and then in God's lovely way, more problems and more problems and more problems. But what happens and what I realized is God doesn't just, in my opinion, doesn't just hand over strength to you. He gives you the experiences to build that strength. And so Mm. each opportunity was like, here, you can do this and then you'll get stronger. And then you can do this and then you'll get stronger. And then you can do this and then you'll get stronger. And that's what happened to me. So I learned to accept that the things were happening for me, not to me, just like you said. Oh, yes, that's so good. I think it's a really tough one to take when, you know, that first realization of that, it makes sense to hold on to the victim mindset because it's been Mm -hmm. protecting you so far. But now you're getting to the point where the victim mindset is actually damaging you. And then it's hard to give it up. You know, it's really, it feels quite addictive to be like, oh, you know, I've had this bad experience and this Mm -hmm. bad experience and this, and I've, you know, had all these difficult things happen. And also people's response to you is different. In a victim scenario, people might feel sorry for you and that might feel good or feel like it's meeting a need that you might have in some way. But actually at some point, you don't want people to feel sorry for you anymore. Like you don't want that for yourself. You want to feel respected and you want people to understand that you've moved through something really difficult and how much strength that takes. And... And you want to believe that about yourself too. And that goes full circle back to what you were saying about your kind of internal beliefs and having to sort of reprogram a little bit of our subconscious, what we're telling ourselves and whether that's actually our words and and becoming aware of the way we speak to ourselves in order to Mm -hmm. be kinder because we deserve it. We deserve to be 
speaking to ourselves kindly we deserve to think good thoughts about ourselves and we deserve to have an experience that we we love we deserve not to be suffering but there are some difficult choices to make on the way if you want to be in that situation of not suffering because it it can happen sometimes in a way that we don't realize and and we find ourselves in that position and and we have to consciously move away from it rather than just stay put right yeah and I think um what you said made me think about something um who am I without the story of my abuse like who am I and that that was important for me to rediscover and I I don't you know I don't think it's about finding yourself a lot of people use that term too and that's okay you Mm. can use the term but for me it was about remembering who I am and rediscovering that part of me that was stripped away that was lost and I don't want my abuse to define who I am I want my story of triumph to define who I am yes I love that (laughs) I mean that's also a perfect sort of segue on to like I want to know what you're doing now I want the listeners to know all of the sort of amazing (laughs) stuff that you're doing now and you kind of it's it's naturally led us us there for you to be able to tell us a little bit about that so yeah tell us more about what you do now and how you support people now and where this has led you how has that pain sort of become a purpose for you well it absolutely has and I wrote my book during the healing part of the abuse so I had to actually go back to the beginning of the abuse in my mind Mm -hmm. and relive that which was really difficult and there's actually a chapter in my book I can't even read I can't even read it. Like I've wrote it, but I can't go, like if I read through my book, I can't read that one chapter um, because it's very icky to me and I don't like it at all. I don't like any of it, but that was kind of one that I just can't revisit. Mm -hmm. But I wrote the book throughout my healing, which also helped me to heal. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, I'm going to publish this book. I'm going to get it in people's hands, help people to be, to be validated to have hope, to be inspired, and also to raise awareness because there's Mm -hmm. a lot of people who maybe haven't experienced this that now if they read this book might say, wow, I didn't realize this is what victims of this go through. So that that was the goal and I achieved that goal. Now what I'm doing is one, I'm trying to promote my book, obviously, to get Mm -hmm. more awareness and I send it to women's shelters and things like that um, to try to get it out there. The other thing that I do is I have a presence on Instagram and Facebook where I create content for people who follow me. And that content is really just things that I come up with day to day that I'm inspired about or that I feel like might resonate with someone. And then I create a post because I feel like if I can use that platform also, instead of just my book, I might reach other people as well. You know, hoping somebody sees something that says, oh gosh, I'm experiencing that too. I didn't know that was abuse. So I I use that platform. I'm exploring potentially coaching after narcissistic abuse. I haven't Mm -hmm. gotten there yet, but I'm I'm thinking about doing that. And the other thing that I do is I have a a website and um, I have blog posts and I have guest bloggers that come on there and talk about things that um, might be relevant to other people because, you know, I'm one person and I I like to, obviously I write, so I like to write things like that. But I also feel like it's good to bring in other people to give a yeah. perspective from someone else as well. So I'm just out here trying to trying to raise awareness and trying to, you know, hopefully give some people some validation and some inspiration. 
That's incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. And I just think, you know, I completely honour what you're doing. I think it's an incredibly brave thing to do, given what you've been through. And also, it's reaching back to give people a hand up rather than moving on and trying to wipe out that part of your life. It's Mm -hmm. saying, no, I recognise and I honour that part of myself. And I also honour you if you're going through that. And that's, that's really, really powerful. You know, for, I know you're going to be helping and supporting so many people through that. So exciting. It's really Thank exciting. You. I felt mm. like I had, I felt like I had to, to pay it forward, you know, like mm. someone helped me through right. this and I had a lot of support from family, from friends. Um, and I feel like some people don't have that. Some people don't have support from family or friends. Maybe they've been isolated so drastically in their lives that they literally don't feel like they have anywhere to turn. So, um, you know, I, I am hoping to use my voice to help those people. And that's, you know, really, I truly believe it's my life's purpose. Like I always actually felt like I wanted to be a writer one, you know, at some, some point in my life. And I actually wrote a book, a science fiction book, like, I don't know, maybe like six years ago and I never did anything with it. It's just sitting in a drawer. I never published it but it wasn't the right time. God needed me use my experience to help other people. And so I'm taking that and running with it. I'm just going to do it. That's amazing. And how fascinating that your intuition or whatever it was sort of deep, dark in like in the darkest recesses Mm -hmm. of your mind knew that you wanted to be a writer. And then that's how your voice has got out into the world. I just think it's incredible that those little passionate parts of us are sort of just you know just there in the background and they come forward at the right time and and it needs to be the right time obviously but I I really really love that thank Thank you you so much I wonder if there is like any last thoughts or anything that you feel like I really wanted to share that and I haven't had the chance to yes um I would love for your listeners to know that there is a way out of this type of abuse. There is a rainbow. There is a light. The fog will clear. You will get out of the swamp. It's going to take effort though. And that's the biggest takeaway I would love for people to know is like, you can't just escape and expect yourself to be back to normal. You will have to work at it. And you know, that's a daunting thing, but you're worth it. And you should never, ever, ever give up on that because you're worth it. Yes. Oh, I love that so much. Thank you. You Thank are you. worth it. It is so worth it. We are worth it, you know. That's to right. Absolutely 150%. It's really, really important to know that and hear that in whatever form that you can, that it's worth it and you are worth it. 100%. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really oh, loved being here with you today. Massively appreciate it. No, it's been, it's been great. And I just, I've really enjoyed the conversation as well. And there's just so much incredible stuff here for people to take away. What so. is the best way for people to get in touch with you? If this is really resonating, them and they Mm -hmm. want to get in touch with you what's the best way for them to do that the absolute best way to reach me is on my instagram account you can dm me send me a direct message if you want to Um, i can also be reached on uh, facebook messenger and i also have email so you could get on my website it's www.whentearsleavescars.com and i have lots of resources and lots of information there and you can also just send me a quick email if you'd like amazing thank you so so much what a pleasure and complete joy it has been really really appreciate it thank you great thank you so much 
I am completely inspired by Alison sharing her story. I just think it's so brave and so honest and genuine and I'm, I'm so, so glad that I've got this platform to be able to help her share that story and get it out to more people. I also think it's so important that we talk about these things. It's really uncomfortable and people find it very uncomfortable to talk about abuse, especially within relationships. But actually, the more we talk about it, the safer people are, the more people know how to support someone in that situation. And if someone is in that situation, there's more support for them, more possibility for accessing help and getting to a place where they feel safe. I'm so, so grateful to Alison for sharing this week and I think it was just an incredible episode and so, so worth a listen, regardless of whether you have experience of what she has been through or not. I really hope you enjoyed it as much as, as I did and if you would like to leave us a review, you are very, very welcome to do so and let us know what you thought. I think it's really powerful stuff, so it's so lovely to hear from you when it has touched you as well. Remember, you can support us by donating on the website. So if you go to dawnbreaks.co.uk forward slash donate, you can find us there. Otherwise, take really good care and you'll hear from me soon.